Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm the show's engineer and your host is Mari. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly Factor. I think she's hit about all those shows. Geraldo, many more. She even uh, presented her own 90-minute PBS television special last year, and they're still running it. It's... Uh, called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. And to learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Hey there. So Hi, Lloyd. What's our show about tonight? We have a great show tonight. We have a woman that I met several years ago who I always enjoy talking to. She's always bubbly and excited and doing wonderful things up in Northern California. And her name is Fran Meyer. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She is the executive director and president of Trustee. That's spelled T-R-U-S-T-E, trustee.org. And she is, that is a company, it's a nonprofit company that enables trust on the Internet. It's hard to trust anybody when you think of phishing and all sorts of scams on the Internet. But Trustee has done wonderful things, and they enable companies to enhance privacy protection for personal privacy information online. They certify and monitor web privacy uh, web sh- pages and privacy, and they resolve thousands of consumer problems re- dealing with privacy every year. Fran brings over 15 years of experience building consumer brands and enhancing consumer trust. She is known for her expertise in online privacy, online best marketing practices, and marketing to women. She was the co-founder of Match.com. I can't wait to ask her about that one. That just blew me away. And she established credibility, safety, and trust in online dating, uh, making Match.com the the actual favorite for uh, site for single women. So I wonder about the single men. We're going to have to ask her about that too. Um, she's done a tremendous amount of work with uh, Women.com and Kmart's BlueLight.com. And, oh, gosh, all sorts of stuff. Um, she, she actually joined a trustee in 2001, and I think that's about when I met her. And that is um, the independent nonprofit, and it has evolved to grow and expand consumer choice from websites to email and now downloadable software. And during the time that she's been the chief uh, 
bottle washer, I guess you'd say. No, she's been the chief and the uh, real creative talent there. She's strengthened its monitoring and dispute resolution programs. And she's grown a tremendous influence. She, I see her everywhere. I see her at the Poneman Institute. You remember, Lloyd? We just mm-hmm. saw her. And I've seen her at, at the Privacy Association, the International Association of Privacy Professionals. She's involved in that. And she knows everybody who's everybody. And she speaks widely on the issues of privacy, privacy, security, and trust. She's appeared before the Federal Trade Commission, the United States Department of Commerce, the House of Representatives Committee on Commerce, Trade, and Consumer Protection. She holds a bachelor's and a master's from Stanford. I love Stanford University. So we're so thrilled that she got to join us all the way from Northern California. Fran, are you with us? Laurie, I am, and wow, what a great introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, you you know, deserve it. We're a couple it. of fun gals, aren't we? Yeah, we are. It's always so great to see you. I thought, what, were, were we the last time we were in Tucson, yes, right? Yes, what a nice spot. Yeah, it was. So a lot, I have to ask you, when I, when I, I didn't know about this match match.com. Yeah. You have to tell me because I'm just thrilled to know about it. How did you get involved with that and what was oh, yeah. that like? That, that was a blast. You know, <laughs> uh, great fun. It was about 10 years ago when I first started with match.com. I had been working doing um, consumer products marketing at the Clorox company here in Oakland and then uh, AAA here in Northern, in San Francisco. And one of my classmates from business school said, that he wanted to start a classified advertising business online. And this was late 94. And part of the proof of the sexy part of the business was going to be Match.com. And he really thought a woman should run it, and he really needed somebody who had you know, advertising and the kind of experience I had had with Clorox and AAA. And at the time, I was like, it wasn't even about the money or anything. It was about, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. Let's reinvent love on the Internet. (laughs) And it was great fun. And, and, you know, it all ties together because um, in in so many different ways, because, as you know, the world is very small. Right. Uh, Match.com was a lot of fun. Our marketing approach and the reason why Match emerged as a leader is that we were, like, not about personals, but about membership and community. And we very much focused on attracting women because Lloyd will tell you, you get the women, you get the men. (laughs) It's really that simple. It's not much more complex than that. And so we really focus on things like safety and anonymity and fun. You know, I even have an old matchbook from my Match.com days that says safety, anonymity, and fun. Because those were the things that you really had to make women have on Match.com to feel like they would. And remember, this is late 90s, you know, middle to late 90s, before that they would feel comfortable about participating in something like Match.com. And so, you know, we were always looking at building the Match.com brand and making sure that we had things. So Match.com was one of the first sites to get the trustee seal way back in 1997 or 1998. Uh, uh-huh. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it is. So were there a lot of marriages? Oh, there were so many marriages. There were so, well, there were so many marriages, and my favorite was a toddling old couple who came to our offices one day, and uh, they were really old. Okay, they were in their 70s or 80s. Maybe the 80s, because the last time the guy had been in San Francisco was at, uh, I guess they called it VA Day or VE Day. (laughs) 
okay, uh, when he was a sailor off a ship, okay? Um, so that was the last time they got together, and they were just so in love, and they were from the Midwest, and they were honeymooning in San Francisco. Uh, but another funny part of it is Match.com, and I think online dating in general, really brought to the marketplace the ability to meet a lot of people. So some people said, hey, I think I met some people. Some ni- uh, a nice woman or a nice guy, and then they'd say, but I'm going to keep on using the service because there's so many. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> they think there's always something better on the other oh, side. Oh, you know, it's so true. And no, but I mean, I've, I've actually talked to a lot of people who've done this online dating and gotten married. I, it sounded a little scary to me. So how did you deal with the privacy issues there? Well, you know, we really paid a lot of attention to it. So we pretty much came up with a business model that you really couldn't exchange information um, without authenticating yourself, but we also preserved anonymity, and we preserved a lot of security with the people's details in terms of where they live, their billing information, and things like that. Um, and we really had to try and teach our users too, our, our consumers, our daters, our online lovers, to also take care with their own information. Right. So there's so much we could do, but th- you know, it all comes around, doesn't it? Now we're yeah. looking at MySpace and all these social networks, Facebook and so on. And the same kind of issues are the same ones that really we dealt with pretty much as a pioneer back in 1995. Uh, wow. Yeah. And and look at it. It's just, it just did so well. And, and lots I of wish copycats. I could have said I, I made the millions, but we <laughs> sold it too early for too little. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, you know, it, I, I made millions in the relationships and in all the amount that I learned and so oh, on. Oh, I was going to say, look at look at what all the terrific yeah, things great. that you're doing now. And, and I, I mean, it's, it probably was a lot of fun. It was a great time. Yeah. It was that a great is, time. That was really, you know, like you say, you know, you were building community and building relationships and that. That and has and been... to some extent, we were before our time. Exactly. That's why you didn't get enough money when you. <laughs> That's exactly why. <laughs> well, so let's. So, how did you get into trustee then? Is that because they were one of the first ones to have well, the trustee seal? I knew trustee, and you know the world is small. And I was working in the internet industry, and trustee was actually born in San Francisco. Uh, was sort of a spinoff from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I had gotten to be very good friends with a couple of people who served on the trustee board. And back in 2001, with the dot-com crash, trustee was found himself without an executive director. And I had, uh, I was actually in between jobs and trying to figure out what else I was going to do. And quite honestly, at that point in time, uh, there were a lot of people with a background like me without jobs. Right, you know? right. It was, the, the, like you said, the big crash with I mean, you the know, the, the streets of San Francisco now are very vibrant, but back then it was, it was definitely the doldrums. Right. And I thought it was a great opportunity because as a marketer, and that's really how I've defined most of my career, I, increasingly now uh, privacy, but back, really when you think about privacy or security or any of these things, it comes down to trust. Right. And trust is central to marketing. It, it's right there in the middle. You know, you you do not build brands, you do not build customer relationships, you do not build a business without trust. And so I really see trustee playing in that overall trust continuum. And it comes down to this, you know, people exchange money and information for things. And we're about the information exchange. Right, right. And people don't want to do business with people they don't trust. Right. And right. so, I mean, the name is perfect, and it fits exactly what, you, what you're all trying to do. So, so tell us about the great things that you guys are doing so people understand when they go to your website at trustee, that's T-R-U-S-T-E dot org. Tell them what, uh, what you're doing and what to look for there. 
Okay, so we're a the dot org explains how we're a nonprofit. And that's important because as a nonprofit, well the companies who get our trustee seal of approval um, pay us. Uh, we really have an independent set of standards. We're very transparent and so on. So let me back up. Most people see trustee not by going to our website, but because they go to eBay or Yahoo or you know thousands of other sites where right. they see the trustee symbol, the green and black square symbol at the bottom of the page or on the privacy statement. Right. And that's really what, what's been called the Internet Seal of Approval. And to earn that seal or the, that certification, companies have to go through a fairly rigorous process with us where they not only have to have a privacy statement that describes exactly what they will do and will not do with your information, but they also have to back it up with practices. And we review that privacy statement. We review their practices. We even sign up to their newsletters, buy some stuff, run some technology scans, check some security things. A fairly rigorous, long process. And sites that, that succeed in that um, uh, are awarded the seal. They also have to agree to some other things. They have to agree that they will resolve privacy-related complaints with their consumers, and if that they can't resolve them directly, that trustee will resolve them. Right. Okay, and they have to pay attention to that. They have to enter into a contract with us that gives us a lot of rights to control them and not control their whole business, but their privacy aspects of their the, their operation. Mm-hmm. And we have found that larger companies really uh, are attracted to trustee. And we've got, you know, two dozen or three dozen Fortune 500 kinds of companies uh, because they want to signal to their consumers as well as to regulators and legislators and their peers that they believe privacy is a core value and that they are ascribing to best practices and doing the things that they need to do. A lot of small companies are trying to build a brand and they feel that trustee helps them do that as well. Right, because then they get that seal of approval, they so get, to speak. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So tell us what you do, um, what kind of services there are for, for consumers with regard to trustee. So probably the most important thing for consumers is that they can come to trustee directly or through the seal on, on our member websites. And if they had a complaint, they can uh, follow our, our program and post a complaint or a concern about a website. And we get thousands of complaints a month. And we have a team of people who work with, with the, uh, the consumer and try to find out what really went on and work with the company to resolve it. Most of the time, it's shutting down an account or agreeing not to send more email or respecting their preferences about one thing or another. And in a couple of cases, we've taken, in many cases, some more public than others, we've taken enforcement action where we've basically said, you know, unless you change, you can't, you can't keep our seal. So you act as an ombudsman or as an arbitrator? Oh, I think a bit of both at times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you try and get the people to uh, come up with an agreement, and if they can't, then you tell them, hey. Yeah, <laughs> either you're not up for renewal or, or we're going to take the seal down now. Now, our, our goal of trustee is really to elevate the responsible players so people can have trust. That's basically our mission, right. to you know, build trust between organizations and individuals based on respect for their personal information. So we do take our monitoring and enforcement role very seriously. What we like to do, though, we think we're best doing is bringing in companies and having them step up to certain level of standards and to reward that with the seal. Right. Positive reinforcement. Right. There's, you know, and, and we, 
are also involved in email, not um, in a couple of different ways. One, we have an email seal, and, and it's a seal that looks a little bit like the one that's on the bottom of our, our websites and so on, but actually says, we don't spam, certified by trustee. And we give this to companies to put on their web forms to, to signal to their consumers, hey, this company, when I put my name here to sign up for this newsletter or whatever, they're not going to send me any spam. Okay, and so what that means is they'll get they'll get emails that they only that they consent to. That's it. But that's it. Yeah. And they're not going to get spammed about all the or all sorts of new products or anything. Just get the email that they opt in for. Correct. Right. Oh, so how is that working? You haven't had that too long, though, have no, you? Yeah, no, we've only had it for a few months. We have a few companies. So some companies are seeing that on their web forms where they ask for things like email address and user information, um, the the rate of registration is going up. Oh, because, because they, they know that they're not... the message that yeah. they're not going to spam the consumers. So, you know, we're really trying to work with companies to, again, reward their commitment to privacy by giving them a seal that hopefully leads to more trust and more transactions and, you know, everybody's happy. Yeah. So what do you think are the are the actual worst or egregious complaints that you get? Because you said you get thousands a month. That That's really a lot. Well, one of our most important program standards is that you cannot um, share or sell people's email addresses or information without getting their consent. Right. Okay? And there are times that we have definitely seen that that is happening. Now, sometimes it happens for stupid reasons, like, you know, down the chain, somebody in the email operations didn't do the, you know, database removal process, dedupe as they call it. Right. Uh, and sometimes it's because they're just looking to build their business whatever they w- way they can, and, and they don't recognize that we're going to be on them if they start to do these things. Right. So, you know, using third-party information. I'm... There are probably worse things that could happen, uh, but those are along the lines of the most common worst things. Now, do they usually go to the company first and they didn't get any satisfaction, and that's when they say, oh, we're, we're going to go to trustee? Both ways. Uh-huh. Both ways. Yeah. And we try to respond very, very quickly. And, uh, and again, the companies have agreed if they have a seal that they have to work with us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so you're like the private Federal Trade Commission when it comes to things well, like that. <laughs> you know, to some extent, we're a little bit. The Federal Trade Commission cannot do the sort of active everyday monitoring, right? Right. That we do, right? But the Federal Trade Commission is a great partner in, uh, and sometimes Elliot Spitzer as well, mm-hmm. in in the New York AG's office and some of the other states AG's offices as well, to uh, really enforce uh, privacy standards and consumer rights standards. And that sends a pretty strong signal to the marketplace that they've got to get their act together. Well, you're doing great work with that watchdog service. So tell us, what, what are the programs that you provide for businesses then? Right. So obviously the SEAL programs, uh-huh. which include the Web SEAL, right. which has been our standard thing since 1997. Right. Almost 10 years. And the other one is the email privacy SEAL. Right. We also work with a company called Return Path to certify email practices for something now called the Bonded Sender Program. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't something consumers see, but they get the benefit. So when they sign, uh, we, we, again, we make sure that these companies who want to be legitimate senders and be recognized as bonded senders and get deliverability, enhanced deliverability into people's mailboxes, that that mail is based on consent 
and notice and all kinds of good things, more than canned spam. So, so how exactly does it work? Can you explain it? Because, in other words, the, the consumer really doesn't know this is really going on. It's happening with their uh, Internet service provider, right? And, and the email marketer. And the yeah. email market. So, so kind of explain that to us. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so an email marketer wants to – one of the things that's happened, just to provide some context, is that in the fight to stop spam – Right. A lot of legitimate email that people have consented to, as well as transactional email that you expect to get, such as your itinerary or something from your airline, a lot of that mail also got swept up with the blacklist and the anti-spam mail filters. Right, and it goes into my junk mail, or it doesn't or come it in doesn't at all. It doesn't come in at all. Right, right. right? I, yeah. So part of fighting the, the spam problem was to also ensure that mail that you could that you did want that you did opt into or or you agreed in some other way to get also gets to you right and so again the the anti spam things let's call them blacklist and the legitimate email things are whitelists to get on a whitelist you've got to demonstrate to trustee and to return path our partner that you meet certain criteria in terms of your email practices and there's a lot of criteria. Some of it's very operational about how many names you have and um, whether or not you have security holes or anything like that. But some of it relates really to sort of uh, your practices about how you obtain the email address and how you got consent. And we certify that aspect of it and work with companies to uh, make sure that they're eligible for the whitelist. And then once they become eligible for the whitelist, then your partner does something with that? Yeah, so, so then the partner puts them on a whitelist for thousands of ISPs, including Microsoft and others, that recognize it and oh. will give some preference, perhaps not quite a guarantee, but some preference to the delivery of that email. So it's kind of like the uh, trusted traveler list. <laughs> so, oh, that's a good name. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what it reminds me of. Well, let's talk. I, I want to just introduce you again because if somebody's just driving by and they just turn on the radio and they're in Irvine or Newport and they want to think, well, who is this wonderful woman who's so articulate? I want them to know who you are. So we are speaking to Fran Meyer. And she is the executive director and president of Trustee, that's T-R-U-S-T-E dot org, up in uh, San Francisco. And she's talking to us about the trustee uh, program, which ensures privacy and helps companies and, and uh, consumers to actually trust the companies and the Internet to do business. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, privacy policies. You know, I remember so many times people feel like, Oh, goodness. I, I pulled this up, and I, and I don't understand it. Or if I do understand it, what do I need to read it for? What's so important, you know, uh, uh, for our, our listeners to know about these privacy policies? Well, basically, a privacy policy is, um, at, at its simplest form, a promise by the company that they will abide by these policies when dealing with your information that you provide online. So... You know, it's interesting. Up until just a couple of years ago, no company had to have a privacy policy. That was not a matter of law. A couple of years ago, the state of California said you must have a privacy policy. Right. And, you know, this state leads the nation in developing 
programs like that law and security breach notification law. Right. We're so lucky to live here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are the privacy leaders of the country. That's for sure. We are. California is is definitely at the leading edge here. Yeah, we got you. We got me. We got (laughs) Beth Gibbons. We got a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm out east all the time to tell them about what we've learned, you know. Right, right. And, um... So, okay, so we now have a law that requires that you have a well, privacy. Well, it's actually just the state of California, but essentially right. it's, it's, it's a national law, right? Right, right. And, which is great. And so a privacy policy, you cannot say uh, uh, under the FTC section, you probably know it. What yeah. is it? Section 5? Dealing with the fair information yeah. practices. Uh-huh. Um, you know, basically, if you have a privacy policy, you better live to that policy. You better live to that promise. Right. And in, in a good privacy policy, and we spend a lot of time working with consumers, uh, I'm sorry, companies on this, you should definitely be looking for how they're going to use their information. Are you going to get notice about how they're going to use your information? What choices you have? You know, is it an opt-in, an opt-out? If they don't, there are privacy statements. They don't have the trustee seal on them that say, hey, you give us your name and we're going to share it with everybody. Right, right. Right? And just because they think it's a privacy policy, they think that their privacy is protected. But really, it's a disclosure statement. It's really mostly a disclosure statement. Now, if it has a trustee seal on it, you'll have some additional protections. Right. Okay, so we make sure that it's concise, that it covers our program requirements. For example, that you must give choice about sharing information, that it is not ambiguous about, you know, sometimes you'll see legal agreements that say one thing in one part and then say, even if you've read that and agreed to it, this other part now applies. Right, right. right. We'll make sure none of that silliness kind of goes on. Right, right. And um, so it's pretty important, I think, that consumers in general, when they're on the Internet, uh, continue to look for brands that they know and trust. Look for things like the trustee seal. There's a whole lot of seals out there. Sometimes you'll see things that aren't even real. They just made it up. Right. Okay? Yeah. If you have any question about it, you know, check on the trustee seal because then we'll say, hey, this is valid or it's not. Right. Okay? So you can check. Um, You know, there's a whole lot of things consumers should look for. And, you know, a lot of people think that consumers don't read privacy statements. But, you know, I think people are getting wise that their information has value and they better be careful about how they use it. Yeah, we tell people that if they're ever going to buy something on the Internet, I mean, if they're just going to go and look, even then, you know, there might be things collected about them when they're on the website. But especially if they're going to purchase anything, then they really need to see how is that information that they're giving, how is that going to be utilized? Absolutely. And I think we're getting to the point I know among my teenage sons, they do understand that their information has value. Now, are they on MySpace? Yes. It's scary, isn't it? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had one of those incidences where not my kids, but one of, another kid posted some things about my teenager, which I won't put on the air. Right, right. You know, and yeah. uh, boy, I learned a lot. <laughs> I know. I, I just went recently to Internet and Your Child put on by the sheriff, you know, for I'm a, I'm a sheriff reserve down here in Orange County. And I learned things that scared me to death because in when you're on MySpace, um, you could give little tiny bits of information, you know, that you don't think will lead to anything. For example, if somebody gets your phone number, they can do a reverse telephone number and find your address. Yeah. And, and I don't think the kids really know that much about what's going on. I noticed you have something on your website about kids and the Internet. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we really try and emphasize that kids should be careful about their information. That, you know, to the extent, I, I, I know we always hear that parents should put on filters and know what their kids are doing. The reality, I think, Mari, and this is my opinion, is that's very hard to do with technically adept children. Right, right, so, because they can get around it and they're yeah. probably better than us. Yeah. So, I mean, you ought to be making sure that their school is also reinforcing the value of their information, the value of their privacy, you know, because they need to hear it from a whole lot of different people. This incident with my teenager was a good opportunity to address many issues, but one of them was don't put stupid stuff on public websites. Right, you right, know? right. You just don't know how that stuff is going to, to uh, uh, come back. Although I think going forward in the future, we should have a way that um, – with all the online data and the way that you could probably look at people in their past from the time they were three, right? that we ought to have a bill of rights that says my identity prior to 20 <laughs> is different than or whatever age. I know. It's, it's like, different than my identity now. I know. It's like Lloyd said, you know, when he was looking at MySpace, because, you know, we have our grandson on there and my kids are on there and, you know, everybody, it's the meeting place. It's like your match.com. And Lloyd was looking at it and he goes, none of these people are ever going to be able to run for political office. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't be too hamstrung by the kinds of things that you did when you were a teen, I think. I know, because like when I was a teen, you know, I mean, we did stuff, but it wasn't on the internet. Internet. You know, you right. can say things and act stupid, but no one knew about it. So kids need to understand that, that they've got to watch their profile as they go through life. And, um, you know, there's a lot of concerns, though, the pornography and so on. And, again, I hope people have active discussions with their children about all these different things and what the long-term effects are, you know. Right. But, uh, but really, trustee, we focus a little bit more on the uh, information that people provide to the e-commerce sites and so on online. But uploading all kinds of information, it's the same information, it's the same kind of issue we were facing with Match.com. I was facing with Match.com 10 years ago. Right, right. The other related thing, too, is uh, the phishing scams. Right. You know, and all the different ways that um, really bad, rogue, horrible people try to lure almost all of us in to providing our passwords and Sensitive information like social security, social security numbers, security, financial, right, yeah. right. And they're very, very skilled. Oh, they are looking so authentic. I have been getting just, you know, I hadn't gotten them in a long, long time. And just recently they've been coming through, not even into my spam filter, but very authentic looking ones. In fact, one was so authentic from the Bank of America. I literally called my banker and said, I got this thing. I, you know, I I actually copied and pasted it into an email um, because I've learned that you're not even supposed to forward those or anything. So I copied and pasted it into an email and sent it to her and said, what is this? You know, this is, this looks really authentic because it, it said something like, if if you have any questions, look at the back of your um, ATM card and call that number. And I thought, well, gee, doesn't that sound authentic, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, so that one, and of course I... I'm I'm smart enough not to respond to any of those things, but it did make me take a second look and make a phone call. As you should have. And I think companies now, especially if they're target of phishing attacks or where their brand has been hijacked essentially, uh, understand that they have got to try and help consumers. Right. So what are you guys doing? Because this is this is a real problem because you will have a, you know, your, your trustee seal on, 
you know, AOL or Microsoft or all these big companies, and then they see uh, uh, something that looks authentic to them. Now, are they actually hijacking any of your trustee seals, too? Uh, occasionally, yeah. That's pretty scary. Yeah, but uh, the validation thing does, does not appear to work. These guys are very big, and we've been really relying on our big partners who are facing, uh, who are being hijacked to take those things down, to, you know, tell us what's going on. When we see sites that are um, uh, phishing sites, we report them, we also take them down, and we have a blacklist. But, you know, this is why we're really looking for more technological solutions to make sure. And the whole, in- I mean, these are problems that are affecting the biggest brands and the biggest oh, companies. Oh, absolutely. And they're losing tons of money. And, again, a kind of, what we've been trying to do is really push consumer education. And I'm not talking about really, I would love to see a big campaign. That would be great. But all companies need to be telling consumers the same kind of stuff, you know, and setting expectations. So, for example, no company should be asking for uh, credit card numbers or other personal identifying information through an email link. Right, right. No, so, so we've been advocating consumer education. We've been advocating really good, plithy ways of talking about it. The FTC has a great site for consumers, so we've been uh, pushing that and really we're involved in the development to some extent. In addition to that, we wrote a great little paper called How Not to Look Like a Fish. Yeah. And and you laugh because it had a funny little fish thing on top. Yeah, I saw that. It was cute. Yes. And and the whole idea of that paper is to help companies say, you know, help companies do things so that they're not taken for fishes. Right, right. So what what are some of the things that you've been advising them in there? Well, authentication is really important. Right. So make sure that you uh, have authenticated your email domains and your email sending because that helps the ISPs, again, Figure out who's the good and who's the bad. Right. Okay. Right. Again, don't ask for information, personal identifying information, in an email. Don't put weird, obscure links and URLs in your email. If you want the consumer to come to your site, put the very straightforward, you know, www.match.com right, or whatever right, it would be. Right. 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 Um, don't use bad grammar. <laughs> <because> <laughs> Or I should say use good grammar because the fishers use pretty bad grammar to the extent you can personalize. Well, they're getting better, although, I, you know, some of them are in, you know, countries far away from here, you know, sitting in their kitchen in Russia or whatever. So that's why I think their grammar isn't quite right. (laughs) It's a nice tee off. But again, sometimes there's legitimate companies who don't do such a good job. Right, right. What else um, so, it? I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. I tell you, I've been doing this for five years, and at that point, almost five years, it seemed like web privacy was kind of the issue. And since then, the issues keep on happening. Spam, spyware, you know, it just keeps on going. Like the technology, we can, we can clearly hardly keep up with it. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, there was just, I don't know if you've been seeing the IRS now that we're, you know, been with the tax season that's been in, in, you know, in effect, that the IRS has been sending out all sorts of messages saying, we will never ask you for, you know, your social security number in an email. And I think what's what's scary is a lot of people are, you know, doing online uh, tax filing. And so they just think, well, we're, you know, we're going to get a, a, an email back. Well, they get an email back confirming that the IRS has received their, their tax return. 
But then, so that's kind of disconcerting because they are corresponding by email. Do you know what I mean, Fran? And it's it's, it's kind of a mixed message. Yeah, it's been a mixed message. Well, and and that's what companies have to do. You know, consistency is a really big part of building the brand and building trust. Right, right. So what are the best, some of the best practices for protecting privacy of customers? What what are some of the things that that you um, advise businesses to do in best practices? So, um... Not it's just... a very long list. <laughs> okay. But I would say, you know, there's a few tenants that you have to keep in mind. First and foremost, um, you have to have security. If you don't have security, it's hard to deliver privacy. And security is one of these things that differs by what kind of company you are, what kind of information you collect, um, whether or not you have old data, new data, and so on. So it's a very complex area. But a chief privacy officer who we often work with needs to have a very good relationship with the the security team. And I think one of the things I just would add on security is it's not just your systems and hackers, but it's how you deal with your trash. And this is true with consumers, too. Right. Offline as well. It's how you lock your doors. Right. You know, and all those other physical things. Sometimes in the technology space, we only think of security in, in that realm. And it really is also in the physical realm. Absolutely, Fran. Sometimes I go to these companies and they have this fabulous stuff on IT, and then you walk around and you do a regular privacy audit just in their office, and you see really ridiculous things like, you know, checks with the social security number on them sitting on desks that they deliver. You know, it just it makes no sense. Yeah. Very incongruent. Well, so I'm looking right. around my desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's on your desk that reveals everything about you, Fran? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, certainly personality aspects, I guess. Let me um, introduce you again, just in case that anybody has just started listening and we've been listening and, and talking to our, our great privacy expert and executive director and president of trustee.org, Fran Meyer. And she's been talking to us about uh, the privacy seal that they provide to custom, to uh, businesses that are exhibiting the best practices. So talk some more about some of these best practices. Okay. So um, must have a privacy statement. Right. You know? That but means something. That, that means something, and we've talked a bit about that. Must back it up with the right kinds of practices. So make sure on your registration pages you reassure consumers that, and, and tell them how you're going to be using the information right. and that you have a way of getting consent. And to the extent you can, reward that consent. Right, right. Make sure your email practices, and sometimes in many companies, email and email marketing is a separate division from other parts of the company. So you have to make sure that they are also abiding by your privacy practices. I think one that companies are um, getting more attuned to is know who your partners are. For a whole lot of reasons, we do, companies do have to send data, um, purchase history, or, you know, just think about when you buy something. Well, FedEx or UPS generally has to get the address at some point in time. Right. Well, make sure all the companies who are, you're working with who might touch some of the data that you're collecting are also trusted. And right. make sure your contracts um, protect you and protect your consumers. Because ultimately, consumers are going to look to the company they made the purchase or transaction with to protect their information or to be responsible for it. And they are, they are going to be liable because, you know, if you outsource to other companies or you partner with other companies, the buck stops with you if you're it's the one who got the money. It still stops with you, absolutely. Um, teach privacy across your organization, okay? Make it a value. 
and that doesn't always happen, and you that know that. That doesn't always happen, no. Yeah, I mean, the, the poor chief privacy officer is often looked at as the compliance officer, and they just don't always get the respect that they should. Yeah, I, I mean, we're hoping that by, um, for example, the email privacy seal helping companies get more transactions, we're hoping that that will also help the privacy officer be more of a partner with the marketing and the Internet operations. Right, right. Sometimes they're just looked at as, you know, maybe constricted. And, and that's why the question has got to be come down to a questions of trust. Right. Which leads me to, you just announced very recently the most trusted companies in America for privacy. Can you tell us who they are and why they got those uh, great scores? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the top three, the number three, uh, number one was Procter and Gamble. Yep. Two, I believe, was okay. I'll, I'll have to say two and three was HP and Elon. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have them in the right order, so I apologize. Well, those are uh, always the same ones were, up there, huh? There were 20 companies that we recognized to be very, very strong companies, and they we, it was a two part process. One, they had to be recognized by um, consumers, so we asked them without giving them a list of names or anything like that, um, can you name companies that you trust? So how many consumers did you interview? You know, it was hundreds. Oh, um, okay. And we did it with Larry Poneman and Poneman right. Institute. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was exciting. Right. And then um, a number of companies emerged that were very well recognized. And from there we did a, um, a second study where we look further and say, okay, so consumers will say they trust them. Are they right? Should they be trusting them? Right. And at that point, we were able to um, see how they handled customer service on privacy issues. Uh, we did a little bit of a technology scan. Uh, we did a whole bunch of things. And uh, the top three were the ones, uh, Procter Gamble, Elon, and HP. And and they... and. What were some of the things that the people said about those companies? Do you remember? Um, you know, I think a lot of it goes to overall brand trust, but mm-hmm. other factors were that the companies were responsive, that the companies had a privacy statement, that they made positive statements about, uh, you know, their commitment. Mm-hmm. So those were a few of the things. And choice. I know, like, with Elon, you know, they gave you the choice of, of outsourcing or not outsourcing and different pricing with regard to that. You could choose your level of, pri- of privacy as well. I, I think what was exciting about it is that uh, exactly that. And, you know, when you really look at, at these companies, uh, these are companies that have made privacy uh, a central value. Right. I mean, it's. I know I, I, have, I have heard you know, Barbara Lawler talk, and I've heard many people, and I've heard people from Procter & Gamble talk about how they really um, value privacy within their organization. It is it is part of the corporate culture, so to speak. That makes a big difference, too. You know, where was American Express on that? Because I, I always thought they were pretty much up there, too. Oh, I think they were listed in, let me see. Yes, they were listed in among the top 20. I don't really have a ranking. Yeah. Huh. Who else was in the top 20? Do you have your list in sure. front of you? Yeah. Uh, American Express, Amazon, uh-huh. Project Gamble, HB, eBay, AOL, uh-huh. USPS, Dell, uh-huh. IBM, Earthlink, Google, Charles Schwab, Apple. And Apple's one of those companies, if I recall, that made a big increase. And I think it's because they've done such a good job with their 
their iPod brand and so on. Right. And I've joined the X generation. I actually have an iPod and we podcast. So, so there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Even even an old lady like me can do that. <laughs> oh, I, I love my iPod. Uh, Johnson Johnson, WebMD, Elon, WAMU, Federal Express, Yahoo, USAA, and Walt Disney. Well, that's great. So that's good I mean, list. it's good that, the, you know, and it's so great that, that they're getting rewarded and they're getting that kind of publicity because that obviously encouraged the, encourages them to keep up and, and to keep their place in line and, and to get to the top and, and be the most trusted company, right? Absolutely. So that's the thing. We hope to reward and send really good practices. Yeah. So um, what are some of the creative endeavors that you got coming up? What, what are some of the, the objectives and dreams that you have as the president? Well, you know, I think, I think these trust issues are not going to stop. Um, the one that we most recently took on what is called the Trusted Download Program. And this is a response to the incredible and, you know, incredibly difficult spyware issues. And, and like anything else, spyware got on people's computers because they weren't given notice. They didn't know what was happening or don't know what's happening. And it does all kinds of different things, and they never had a chance to say no or yes. Right. And so there's a whole lot of ways of approaching the spyware issue. The anti-spyware programs, the security programs are certainly part of it. Right. But there's also... And then you have to, you know, Fran, then you have to use it. Like I have to remind myself, you know, I've got the little reminders to run my spyware program, you know, at least once a week, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you have to use it. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's hard. A lot of people are just so busy. They have it on there. They, they have their Norton and they, or they have their whatever it is, McAfee. And, um, you know, for me at least, I run it every night, but I have to f- remind myself, do those live updates. You know, and, and I think that's part of the problem is there is so much to do to protect your privacy. Yes, you're probably better than most. So what's exciting about this program, actually, is we're working with the big networks to serve a whitelist of applications and software downloads that meet our criteria and do provide to consumers control over their computer through consent, full disclosure, not buried in a EULA, but really oh. given to them up front, um, the ability to for sure uninstall it right. and, and get any information or help that they need along the way. And what's exciting is that really downloads a lot of adware and ad-supported software is supported by advertising. And that's fine because there's weather applications and sports applications, all kinds of little things that people want that are delivered because they're supported in some part by advertising. Right, and that's how they get it it for free. Yeah, we're not against advertising. Right. We want to make sure, though, that advertising, and advertisers want to make sure that they're putting their ads on sites, or I'm sorry, um, download applications that they want. Right. Right? Right. So what's exciting about our programs, we have Yahoo and AOL, CNET, Verizon, and Computer Associates, and a number of other companies saying that they're going to use our whitelist to make decisions about either who they'll distribute with or who they'll put advertising on. Oh. So, in other words, you're going to pre-approve these these possible downloads? Is that what you're saying? Essentially, and yeah. to, to make sure that it doesn't have the spyware in it or if, if it has something that it's disclosing what exactly it is. That's and making sure that consumers can choose it or not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because, you know, most be people, to... I, I, know, I know my computer consultant is always yelling at me, never download anything without first calling me. Yeah. 
<laughs> because he he will go and he will go to all of his clients and he'll go, what is on your machine? Yeah, you know? eventually we'll have a seal and that will help you make the distinction. But at this point, we're not quite there. So who's doing all your technology for that? That sounds pretty high level. Yeah, actually, we're doing the disclosure review. We're running the program, but we're working with a third-party um, software testing lab. Wow, yeah. I was going to say, you're pretty techie, Fran. Yeah, no, not that techie. <laughs> <laughs> you almost have to be, though, to kind of understand when they explain this to you to see if you guys want to partner with them. Yeah, no, that is, it, it's been complex. It's, it's been probably one of the more difficult challenges that we've had. And then just looking in the future, um, there's more to be done in email. I think there's more to be done with security. Right. Because, you know, you and I will talk privacy, and then we'll go someplace and we'll talk security. But to the consumer, it's all protection. Exactly. Can you explain? Because I think a lot of people do get confused. And what is the difference between privacy and security? You know, security is really about – security is more of a technical term. Right. And it's really about – who has access and use for data, and how is that controlled? Right. Privacy is ne- security is necessary for privacy, but is it sufficient? No. Right. So privacy encompasses the values around how you use people's information or how people um, work with that information and, and access it and share it and so on. But privacy is actually. And, and that's the way it's sometimes used in the industry. Right. But privacy is also about intrusion. Exactly. And so spam is a privacy issue partially because how do they get your email name and that seems like an invasion of privacy. But for the most part, they don't really get your email name from somewhere. They probably just found it somewhere, right? Yeah, people want to know how, how is it that they're getting spammed, you know? How you know, how's that happening, if, Fran? If their email is public, there are scrapers. I hate the word, that goes and try and find them off websites and things like that. But sometimes they just guess. They do what they call dictionary attacks, hmm. you know, and, and they're able to get it. Or, or they do by list, and then they abuse it and do different things like that. But the point is, is that I think spam is a privacy issue partially because of that, but more because it's an intrusion. Right. Right? right, right, right. Spyware is a privacy issue partially because some spyware actually sends information about you without your consent. Right. So that's definitely violating your space. But it's also, it destroys your darn computer. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, you've got spyware that's sent by companies that is just, you know, trying to find out what your likes are, right? I mean, what your preferences are. Oh, but some, some of them And then some really of them bad. is much more insidious. Yeah, much more insidious. And yeah. then there's the bad guys who are trying to actually come in and capture information about you. Right. But we also think the good guys, even the people, the companies and applications that aren't considered bad right now, should also live up to some best practices about user con- control and, and disclosure. Now, does anyone ever give you a hard time? Any of these companies ever really give you a hard time about, Fran, why do you have all these strict rules, or are they, are they really pretty good about it? You know, for the most part, I mean, part of it, it's a self-selection, right? right. If the company has decided to come with us, they've decided they want to live up to it. Okay, so so it it really is. It, they're opting in, so yeah. it's not like you know some you know like the Federal Trade Commission coming on and sanctioning them or something. Right, they're coming on. It's opt in. They they it's a choice to do it, so they're committed. Right, and and I what's what's been fun. I uh, a couple of years ago we introduced this um, website scanning that we would do to make sure it would just check on a few things, uh, check on security, check on links 
check on privacy statement. And we would find things, you know, from our licensee base, and, and we would have our staff call, them up, call the company up and say, you know, we did a watch fire scan, and we found these three things, and you need to fix them to remain in our program. And initially, I was afraid the companies would be, you know, who do you guys think you are, blah, right, blah, blah. Right, right, right. The answer almost invariably was, oh, thank you, we didn't know that. Right, right. You know? it's, it's hard for them to even keep up with their own problems. I know. I, you know, I, yeah, it, it they were not, probably it thrilled. A problem. It was a thrill, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense because, first of all, that exposes them to intrusions. Exactly, yeah. if they have some problems on their own, on their own website, right? Well, yeah, and sometimes it was just silly linking stuff and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes we find companies um, who, not by any intention, are not completely compliant with can spam. Or the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Right, right. So better that you say something to them rather than the Federal Trade Commission. Yeah, Is that what you're kind of thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what are some of the partnering that you're planning for the future? Um, boy. More in the technology issues? You know, so we have a lot of partners already. We have partners for new products. We have partners for technology. You know, I'm interested in uh, forming more relationships with Companies that can um, introduce other companies to our sale, yeah, um, or sale programs. We're working right. a lot with the email industry, and hope to do more there. Which are you doing things with Trevor? He was just on recently talking about some of the new uh, things that they're doing with email. Trevor and the IAPP and both right. and the uh, NAI. You know, I think there's issues coming up about uh, social networking. Um, and some big players in that space. There's issues coming up with cookies and affiliate marketing. So, what, what, um, what, what kind of things with uh, the cookies and the affiliate marketing? Well, I, I think there's a new call to kind of revisit how cookies are working and what rights consumers have. I mean, you know, there, there's some things that you really enjoy having a cookie for because if you go to the website and they go, hi, you know, how are you, Mari, and this is what you need from us, and uh, it, it saves you time and energy, but there's other cookies you don't want to have. So what is your suggestion about cookies? Should we, should we really try and delete all of our cookies, or what should we be doing, Fran? You know, I think people first need to be aware of what cookies are and not get too scared. I think most of them are really very, very ben- uh very benefit, not getting the right word. Beneficial? Or? Beneficial, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and help personalize, help make, you know, sites that you go to really ideal for you and based on the things that you've asked to, to have there and are present there. And, and they, it's those trusted sites that you're talking about. If I go to American Express and they recognize me, that's good. It, it saves yeah. me time. Right. Or if I go to, you know, Starwood Points or something like that, they can tell me how many points I have, and I don't have to try and put in all these passwords to find out, right? And, yeah, and I, I think delivering targeted and relevant advertising yeah. is good. I think the thing is, is consumers don't know necessarily how much of that is being passed on and how much control that they have. Right. That's a so, scary part. So, you know, um, apparently people are deleting their cookies and refreshing them and so on. Yeah, I, I try and go in there and only delete the ones that I don't want, you know, on the ones I don't recognize. But the ones I, you know, the ones I recognize, I just keep on there and, and figure, all right, that's going to be an easier way for me to do business with them. You know, I think that we're getting to the point that consumers cannot be passive about their computing devices be it their phone, their PDA, or their computer. 
And they, especially as, you know, my household, everybody's got their own computer, right? We're kind of right. crazy. <laughs> my house, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so, so given that, you know, we all have to be in control. Yeah. And trustee's going to work to help keep you in control. And empower you. And, and empower Absolutely. you to make some good choices. You know, I mean, when I think about me as a kid, we, you know, we didn't have computers. Many years ago when I sat on a school board in Saddleback Valley Unified School District, I remember we spent a fortune and we bought our first computer for the district and it filled up like a huge room. Oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, and then you think of like, oh, my goodness, we have these little tiny laptops now. Oh, I, I remember all that- my dad, who, who was like in the insurance industry, yeah. came home one day with a calculator. That was like bigger than a bread box, right? Right. But multiplied, added, subtracted, divided, <laughs> and, I know. It, and probably cost them two grand. <laughs> I know, and that was the excitement. So I think our kids are are gonna, you know, they're gonna teach us a lot of the kids teach us, and I'm actually getting a lot better in my old age. But I think you know we're all as we have to be savvy consumers. We really have to take, like you said, take control of our personal information because that's our right to privacy. And then as long as we have a trustee around who's going to help to keep the companies, um, you know, focusing on best practices, we're going to be doing a lot better. Well, friend, we are we just have a, a, a minute left, so I just want to make sure that everybody knows that they can uh, look. Why don't you tell them how they can look for the, the trustee seal and what they can do to come to your website and learn more? So a couple ways to find the trustee seal. Look for it on privacy statements. Look for it on footers of websites of brands that you trust. And if you see the trustee website, or I'm sorry, the trustee seal on sites that you don't know so well, go ahead and click it so that you can see for yourself that they meet our standards. And we provide consumers with more information about that through that process. Of course, they could come directly to trustee.org and learn more. Uh, if they're company people, they can learn more about how to apply and the different products and services that we have. And consumers, we have a whole bunch of educational information, too. Oh, no, you have a great website. I was uh, looking at it again you. today, and it's it's really filled with, you have white papers and lots of good stuff to read and things on uh, security. So you've done a terrific job. They're so lucky to have you. Thank you so much. It's just too bad that you sold Match.com too early. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, but then I wouldn't be here. So what That's fun right. would that be? That's right. Everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. Well, Fran, thank you so much for joining us, and we're going to have you back again after you have all your new products up, and you can tell us more. Okay, Mari, enjoyed it. Thank you, Lloyd. It was okay. a lot of fun. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. If you want to learn more about our terrific guests, hear our previous interviews, download to be able to to um, download our podcasts, go to KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy. Join us next week at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thank you, Lloyd. You're a great engineer. Appreciate it. Okay, good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.